You're listening to the Aquatic Wetline, a tropical fish-keeping podcast hosted by 23-year-old fish keeper Aqua Alex Cardinal. For three years, we provided you with quality tropical fish information, and we'll continue providing some information on freshwater and saltwater tropical fish. Let's dive down deep into the aquarium and chat fish. Live from his fish room is Aqua Alex. Aquatic Wetline is now live. Please join us for a moment of silence for the late great Lynn Mathney. A terrible tragedy has struck the aquarium hobby. Today, we have lost a wonderful fish keeper who left a huge impact on the aquarium hobby. A personal friend of Alexander Cardinali aka Aqua Alex, Lynn Mathney will always have a place in Alex's heart. Lynn and Alex would chat fish behind the scenes of Aquatic Wetline and would have a blast. Lynn was very fond of Alex, and was very ecstatic for being a part of the Aquatic Wetline. She was a fundamental guest and supporter who will go down in history as one of the best guests and the first breeder to be on Aquatic Wetline. Not only did she have a passion for aquariums, she had a bigger passion for Corydora's catfish. Lynn had bred many different species of Corydora's catfish that she sold all over the United States to provide fish keepers with excellent quality Corys and also attended many fish meetings to provide knowledge for Cory catfish. Tonight, join Alex as we pay tribute to Lynn Mathney. We love you Lynn and we will miss you. Rock the heavens with Cory catfish. everybody for tuning in to tonight's show here on Aquatic Wetline. Usually when I am hosting a fish keeping podcast, I'm very excited and I'm very, very happy to be hosting a show. But tonight it's a little bit of a different story because I lost a dear friend of mine, and I lost a wonderful fish keeper. The aquarium hobby has lost one of its biggest supporters, and it also lost one of its biggest Corridoris breeder. Tonight, we're going to pay homage to the late great Lynn Masney as I throw a special tribute to Lynn. 
Lynn was not only a wonderful fish keeper, not only a wonderful Corridors breeder, but she was a friend to me, a very good personal friend. After each show that we had, we would have conversations. We had a lot of conversations, even after we did shows, even before we did shows. She was a fantastic friend of mine. Now, I got the news the other day about Lynn's passing on Facebook. David LaBelle had posted something about Lynn passing away. And when I first saw it, I was in total shock. I, I was actually thinking, is this some kind of a joke? But sadly, it is the truth. Lynn Masney has uh, passed away very, very sad and tragic. Now, it was around this time in 2013 when I asked Lynn Masney to be on the aquatic wetline. It was exactly December 14, 2013. I asked her to be a guest to talk about Corridoris. She accepted, and we have done several shows since. After that first show, Lynn and I became friends, and we talked all the time about tropical fish and stuff that is happening in the world and all of that good stuff. Lynn was a very passionate, kind-hearted, and great person. She is, without a doubt, one of the fundamental guests and supporters of the Aquatic Wetline. Because of her, I have gained a lot of listeners who are interested in breeding fish, and a lot of people have tuned in to my show just because of her. I will always, always be appreciative of the effort that Lynn put into the show to make sure that I have a successful podcast. The sad thing about it is I actually was going to give her her own show starting in January. It was going to be a uh, Corridor-style talk show where Lynn and I would uh, talk about Corridors, but do it in a unorthodox way, do it in a fun way where we would share Corridor's information, and then we would be funny and do Corridor's jokes. Unfortunately, I never got the chance to ask Lynn, about that because I was busy doing other things, taking care of my uh, puppy and stuff, and I always meant to contact Lynn, but unfortunately I waited too long. I wanted to wish her a happy Thanksgiving, but I did not get the chance. So there's a lesson for that. Always make sure to take time out of your day to reach the people who you love, your friends and your family, because you never know when you're not going to be able to speak to them. And it actually uh, is quite upsetting and uh, painful for me that I wasn't able to talk to her at least one last time. But I figure tonight's show is going to be the best send-off, the best goodbye, and my last respects to my friend Lynn Masney. I figure this is a way that I could say I love you, Lynn, and uh, thank you for everything. So we're going to pay tribute to Lynn Masney tonight. And I want to tell my listeners, Lynn enjoyed coming on the show and talking corridors with all of you. She would be proud of me for sticking around for three years. And she would have wanted the show to go on. She would have wanted the corridor show to go on. So tonight, our show is going to go on as we pay tribute to Lynn Masney. Now, 
here's plans for the show. I'm going to talk about how Lynn and I met. I'm going to play a special tribute to Lynn Massey, starting off with a nice conversation that I want to share with all of my audience. I'm going to talk about the impact Lynn Massey has left on the aquarium hobby, and then I'm going to play several of her interviews here on Aquatic Wetline. You listeners will be able to learn about Corridor's catfish. So that'll be the fish aspect of today's show. I had uh, Lynn Masting on the show many, many times, and she always talked about Corridorus. So that'll be there for you people who want to keep Corridorus catfish. And I'm also going to play some music in honor of the late, great Lynn Masting. Before we get started, I'd like to say rest in peace, Lynn Masting. We love you, and I'd like to take another moment of silence, folks. All right, thank you for joining me for that moment of silence. I would like to start today's show by discussing how Lynn and I met. Now, I actually found Lynn on a Corridorous Catfish group. I sent her a uh, friend request on Facebook, and she accepted it. And I contacted her saying, hey, my name is Alex Cardinelli. I am a podcast host of the Aquatic Wetline. I see that you are a Corridorous breeder, and I would like to have you on my show. I would like for you to teach my listeners about Corridorous, and I'd like you to tell our listeners how you breed Corys. She accepted the offer immediately. And we began talking about the different species of quarries, and we figured out how we're going to do the Corridorous show. And i got to tell you, Lynn did phenomenally well on her shows. She came prepared, and she delivered A-plus quality shows here on Aquatic Wetline. After our first show, we became friends. We chatted for, I don't know, maybe hours at a time on the computer, and we talked about everything. Now, I've never met Lynn in person, but I must tell you, I know a lot about her through the Internet. We had a lot of fun, and it was like a close personal friendship that you would have with a a friend that you actually see in person. That is why I was terribly upset when I heard that Lynn Masney passed away, um, because she was a fantastic person. But that is how I met Lynn Lynn Masney. After the first meeting, we clicked and we became personal friends. So right now, I'm going to go ahead and give a tribute to Lynn Masney with my heartfelt message that I have for her. Now, like I said earlier, Lynn Masney was a fantastic person to chat with and meet. The moment I first met Lynn online, we clicked, and I became friends with her. Lynn talked with me very often, and we chatted about tropical fish and life in Florida and, of course, normal friend stuff. Lynn was a very nice, kind, and caring woman with the heart of gold. What I loved the most about Lynn was that she always spoke her mind, and in doing so, always made the people around herself laugh. She was a lovable yet fascinating lady 
with a whole lot of passion in herself. Now, some of you may not know this, but Lynn was a woman of all trades. She was a chef, she was a hunter, she was a fisher, and of course she was a tropical fish keeper who had a passion for the aquarium hobby. Now, just like me, she was born a fish keeper because her father had aquariums in her childhood. Lynn eventually got her own aquarium, and eventually she found her calling card in Corridor's catfish. Lynn would spend many of her years breeding many different kinds of Corridor's catfish. When I tell you about her passion for Corridor's, I can tell you with a straight face that she was and still is one of the best breeders for Corridor's. Her love for Corridor's cats cannot be overdone and outdone. Every time I had the privilege to chat with her, her spirit was high, and she was very ecstatic about the different species of Cory catfish she was breeding. She sold her Corridor's to tropical fish keepers and even a few tropical fish stores to people all around the United States and many of her customers became repeat customers. Now, several months ago, I told Lynn that I would buy some of her Corridoris when I set up my new freshwater tank in 2017, but sadly, I never got the chance. The sad thing about this tragedy, like I said earlier, is I was getting ready to propose to her a series right here on Aquatic Wetline. It was going to be a fun talk show style Corridoris and Fish show to debut in January of 2017. She would have been the perfect person, not only because of her knowledge of Corridoris, but her personality was outstanding. She had the ability to make people laugh until they cracked up, even over the phone. She was a very funny person who was able to make you laugh even through the toughest times. And we're going to see that right now. Well, actually, we're going to hear that right now. The vulgarity that we talk about on chat? Sure, if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, folks, I am going to take Alex Cardinal, and I am going to tie him up in my fish room. <laughs> now, everybody knows Alex. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> oh, that's now funny. you have to hold up to it. Everybody knows. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Everyone knows that she's gonna uh, tie me up now. See, she was a very, very uh, funny person. Now I remember when I was going through periods of depression and uh, ups. And downs. Lynn was always there to cheer me up and make me happy. Sorry about the long wait. Something was going on with my phone. 
Loyalty is one word I think of when I think of Lynn. She was always loyal to me and was a great friend of mine. I always say sometimes with podcasts, you have guests on your show. They do the one show, and you never see or hear from them again. Then the other times, you form a bond and relationship with the guest that eventually turns into a very close personal friendship. Len and I did exactly that. One podcast episode, and we were friends. I remember asking Lynn about three or four years ago if she would be interested in being a guest on Aquatic Wetline. Her answer was an immediate yes, with a lot of passion and excitement coming through her text. I can tell she was truly honored that I had asked her. She was a bit nervous because it was her first time coming on the Internet and the world to promote her knowledge of Corridor's catfish. But you know what? You can never tell. She took the floor, delivered a kick-ass speech on Corridor's catfish, and the next thing I knew is that she would become a regular fixture here on Aquatic Wetline, and she became a fundamental guest three years later here on Aquatic Wetline. She was a guest on multiple occasions, and eventually she even listened to all of my shows. She loved being a guest, and she loved helping my show succeed. There is a reason why I say that Lynn was a fundamental guest and supporter of Aquatic Wetline. It's because as soon as she came on my show, more and more people were listening and supporting us. After each show, I would call Lynn to congratulate her on her performance, and she showed great gratitude each time, and I could tell it was something she was very proud of. She told me about her love of Corridorus. She talked about all of the species she bred, and most importantly, she would reminisce how she entered the aquarium hobby. She also told me how she loved living in Florida and also the Florida Aquarium Society. Forgot its name. I don't, know, I don't remember what its name it was and how she was very happy to be a part of it and how she was able to do many speeches at aquarium clubs promoting Corridorus and the aquarium hobby. She even taught me something I never knew about Corridorus catfish, and that is that Corridorus are toxic and it can release toxins in the aquarium bag when you get them at the store, and that sometimes leads to deaths, among the many other things Lynn has taught me about quarries. Lynn put her heart and soul into her corridorous breeding business. Sometimes she outdid herself doing back-breaking work and shipping out tons of quarries each year. Now, in November of this year, Lynn announced she was leaving Corridor's breeding and was selling all of her Corridor's catfish after the numerous, numerous years of doing the backbreaking work. She decided to call it quits this past November. She had done what she loved for so many years, and that is promote knowledge of Corridor's catfish and breeding quality quarries and providing them to the aquarium hobbyist. I will forever be thankful for meeting Lynn, and I wish she was still alive because I would love the opportunity to chat with her again. I would love to meet her in person in Florida. 
I would love to go hunting and fishing with her. I would love to cook with her because she was a chef. And most importantly, I would love to chat fish with her. I am truly saddened that she passed away way too early, and I am thankful forever that I was able to not only meet her, but I was able to become a great friend of hers, and I am thankful the aquatic wetline had won her over. Lynn Masney, I love you, I miss you, and I never, and I mean never, will forget you. Every time I see a Corridorus, I always think of you. And, uh, Lynn, you are and always will be the Corridorus Catfish Lady because I have never, ever met a person who was fascinated with Corridorus. And that is a great thing, Lynn. I always remember that about you. Please rock the heavens with Corridorus Cats. I miss you and I love you, Lynn Masney. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go ahead and take another moment of silence for the great Lynn Masney. Please join us for a moment of silence for the late great Lynn Mathney. All right, thank you for doing the moment of silence. Now I would like to discuss the impact Lynn had on the aquarium hobby. Lynn was a member of numerous Facebook fish groups, and she'd always post in the Facebook fish groups, some information on Corridorus, and she would share the Corridorus that she was, um, uh, that she was selling. So she always posted in Facebook fish, fish groups that she loved the Corridorus, and she posted the ones that she was selling. Also, she sold high-quality corridors to fish keepers all over the world, and she gave speeches on corridors and shared the knowledge of her knowledge of corridors. A lot of people learn corridors from Lynn Masney, and I will uh, forever be thankful for meeting Lynn and the knowledge she shared with all of my listeners. So Lynn had a huge impact on the fish keeping hobby. How you ask? Well, she gave a lot of knowledge on Corridorus. She sold a lot of Corridorus, and she gave tips on how to breed Corys. And to this day, she is one of the top Cory breeders that I've ever known. She is the only Cory breeder that I ever known. So that is her impact on the aquarium hobby. All right, fish keepers. Now it's time to hear Lynn Masney on Aquatic Wetline from a few years ago. Here is her first of many segments that will be played on tonight's tribute. Good evening, everyone, and welcome live to the Aquatic Wetline radio show. 
Tonight on the Aquatic Wetline, we're going to be chatting about Corridor's catfish. Corridor's are a very popular catfish in the freshwater fish-keeping hobby, and I think it's great that we're going to be talking about them on the show tonight. Tonight's show is going to serve as an introductory show to Corey Catfish, and we will have an experienced host of the series who has been keeping Corey's for many years. Tonight's first Corey show is going to be an introduction to the species, and we'll talk about how to keep and raise them. Joining me um, as the host of the series is experienced Corridor Spreader, Mrs. Lynn Matney. Lynn knows her stuff on Corey Catfish, and she is currently breeding orange laser Corey Catfish. Soon enough, we'll do a show on Cory breeding. Feel free to call us any questions on Cory's for Lynn at uh, 347-989-8142. Dial 1 when calling in. With that being said, let's welcome in tonight's guest, Lynn, to the show. Hi, Lynn. How are you doing tonight? Hi, Alex. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm so glad to have you on the show tonight. Oh, that's great. I'm great. I feel good to be here. Awesome. So, um, would you mind telling the audience a little bit about yourself? Well, I started with with fish when I was five years old, but I got into Corey's being at a girlfriend's house about six years ago, and I just happened to be in the house and a bunch of Corey's spawned, so I got a chance to watch them, and I was intrigued, and that did it for me. So I dug up a bunch of Corey's, and... I had no supervision. I didn't know anybody that bred Corys, and I sat on the bucket for the, with a Budweiser and a cigarette and started watching. And that's when I learned all my behaviors and how to breed them, basically, and bred up on them online. Of course, that should be a first for anybody getting into Corys, is to study where they're from and their habitat and... And the such. Awesome. That's that's a great way to learn how to keep fish. Uh, that's one of the things I like to do is just sit there and watch the fish breed and learn from that way. Yeah. Well, I I tried back and forth. I did get a few tips from some older quarry breeders who've you know long since stopped, but uh, they were a lot of big help in getting mine going. Awesome. Okay, so let's begin the show by talking about raising quarries. What would be your advice for someone who wants to start keeping corridors catfish? Now, the first thing I would suggest when you're looking into buying quarries is look at your species. Look them up. Find out where they're from. Quarries come from high altitude and low altitude. And a lot of times that will make a difference on your temperature of your tank. There's a lot, I've had a lot of angel and discus breeders want them, but a lot of them cannot handle the 80-plus degrees. So there's certain species that you'd want to get for keeping fish in such a situation. So that would be my first thing to say is look them up. Look where they're from and get their basic habitat down. That's that's well said. I the first thing I always suggest to anyone who wants to learn about any kind of species is researching with quarries. Research is key here too, right? Yes. Well, researching I mostly did mine online and looked at the different fish and their habitat, where they're from, and like I said, basically your higher altitude quarries like cooler water, and your low altitude quarries can handle hotter water. So you kind of got to look at where your fish are from. 
also, that'll make a difference. They also come from an area of Central and South America, basically. There's some that are caught, I believe, over in Germany and areas like that. But for the most part, we'll be talking about fish that we pretty much get here, that we have access to here. Because I've looked up a bunch of quarries like that, and they don't even have them over here. So basically, we'll talk about the ones that you can get here readily, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. I, I understand where you're coming from with that. So what are some of the quarry species that are readily available here in the United States? Well, you're running along with stuff like stirbys, pandas. When you go into your local store, the most you'll see the most of is your pandas. You'll see albino, and you'll also see peppered cats, and you'll also see bronze quarries. Those are the big ones that are sold through the big distributors. So when you start getting off on something else, you're getting on something else that not everybody's got, which is what I did. When I first started getting into it, I looked to see what everybody else has got and then picked up the ones that everybody else doesn't have. So basically, I've put myself in the green money-wise because I'm selling fish that are worth a little bit more which makes a big difference if you're actually in the hobby to make any money. So where they come from is Central and South America, pretty much. So they're used to more of a pH in the 60s. So that's something to contemplate if you're going to breed, because they'll live in 70s and, well, 75, 7.5, and they'll live in that water. They won't necessarily spawn in that. But if you just want to keep them in your tank and enjoy them, I would stick to somewhere in the pH in your 70s because that's a normal pH for a lot of your fish. And down in South and Central America, they also have seasons. They're a seasonal spawner. So basically you'll see a lot more action in your quarries come winter, which is their spawning season down in South and Central America. So you'll see a lot of action with them swimming back and forth in groups, and they dance, and they call that's pre-spawning behavior. But it's fun to watch. And they like to be in groups. You know, so buying one or two quarries, if you have a small tank, is all right, but they generally like to be in bigger groups. My spawning groups, I've got 11 in one and 12 in the other. And it makes for a much better group. They just like hanging out together. And in Central and South America, when they collect, they'll pick up fish that are different breeds all in one collection. So they mingle, and so you can have species in your tank. They're not all the same species. If you'd like to have some different colors... Like, I've got orange lasers, which basically are CW10 gold lasers. Now, why gold lasers have an orange stripe is beyond me, but that's the way they named them. And I've also got a C121, which is a new fish on the market. So we'll be seeing some of those starting to filter in through my sales. But basically, you're going to run into those those four will be the ones you'll see the most. Now you'll see stirbys, 
quite a bit in the United States. Now, stir-by is a fish that you can put in with your discus and angelfish. They will tolerate the 82 to 84 degree temperature a lot better. <clears throat> so you've got it, like I said, temperature and everything. There's so many species of quarries. That it's not hard to dig around and find somewhere that's got something different if you want something different. But that's the main thing is to look at where they were collected from, the species that you've got, and try and duplicate that in your tank. But they're very versatile. They'll, they'll still, like they like soft water where they're from, but my water here is a little on the hard side, and they don't seem to care. I'm still getting them to breed, so that's a good thing. Well, well said. I know you touched on beef. Now, one important thing with Corridoris uh, catfish is that like the school, and I, I, I love the fact that the Corridoris are one of the catfish at school, and um, I love schooling catfish, so that's one reason why I enjoy Cori so much. And like I said, you can put more than one species in, and they'll still all school together. So a lot of people like to do that, pick up a couple of this one, a couple of that one, maybe one or two of this breed. And there are some certain breeds, like the Aeneas group, that will crossbreed. Like if you put an albino quarry in the same tank as a bronze, they will crossbreed. They all won't do that, but some will, if they're in the same subspecies. That's, that's pretty interesting, you know. Yeah, like my Aeneas, my um, there. Well, my uh, orange lasers are in the Aeneas family, and I've heard that they will crossbreed with a, a albino Aeneas or the bronze. I don't keep them with them. I've got a separate spawning tank for each of my breeds to keep them all separate because I'm also dealing with wild fish, which is a whole nother subject because tank raised fish are more tolerant of everything that are wild fish. The wild fish, you've got to stick to your pHs and stick a lot closer to their their habitat from where they're from. That's a very key point there. I actually enjoy the uh, wild cock quarries a lot more than the tank race quarries. I really think the wilds have more color. Yeah, they do, um, because when you get them crossbred, you know, these people that are breeding them, the distributors, you know, they'll have a whole load of quarries, all the same breed. And they tend to fade out some of the color, I think. But like my quarries being from my um, orange lasers are from Peru. And I got them when they were about three months out of Peru, and that was like last August. And they only spawned for me twice last winter. And I haven't got them to spawn since. But now I've had them in a tank for a year. And just this month, I've gotten three spawns out of them. So they may be easing into being in a tank and living tank life. And I'm hoping to get more spawns out of them. So breeding hard fish, breeding wild fish is a little bit trickier than breeding your tank-raised fish. Well, They're said, also a little more skittish. They're more, a little more skittish to the traffic around the tank, and they'll hide a lot. But I took my two tanks with the spawners in it, and I didn't give them anywhere to hide. 
so when I come in the room, they're forced to see me. And when I sit on my bucket in front of the tank, they'll come out. And I've gotten them to the place now where they will eat their own eggs. So if I see them laying on the glass, then I'll collect my eggs immediately. And they're used to me sticking my hand in the tank and picking up eggs. And now they'll spawn right around me. So it's basically, you know, what they're used to and and teaching them just like a puppy. That's very cool. That's a very nice story to share with us about Cory um, breeding. So anyways, what would you say is the minimum tank size for Cory considering that they need to be kept in schools? Pardon? I'm sorry. Uh, that's okay. Um, what would you say is the minimum tank size for them considering that Cory cats need to be kept in school? So what, was the, what would be your minimum tank size to keep Cory? Well, you can put them in a five. You can keep a couple Corys in a five. I would say like three Corys in a five-gallon. And I have a small trailer that I live in, a small mobile home, so I'm really limited on size. And I also give presentations on breeding and keeping Corys and with the minimum space that you've got. And right now I'm running four tanks for each species. And my four tanks consist of three 10-gallons, and one five-gallon for the eggs. So I'm basically running right now. I've got about 100 baby Corys in one 10-gallon tank. But the trend these days is I'm selling them as babies, which I can sell them a whole lot cheaper. And people are picking up on them right and left. So I've got a list of 36 people that want my babies as soon as they're big enough to sell. So you, your tank size, basically, I've got, like I said, 11 or 12, and they're all in a 10-gallon tank. But I have no other fish in there with them. So they're the only ones in there. So I can't put any more than that pretty much in those tanks. Now, you run something like a 125 or 75-gallon even, you can put yourself a school of 10 or 12. And they'll stay together, and they'll run across the glass together and dance, and they're really fun to watch. Always digging, always digging. That's true. Corridors have an awesome personality for a catfish. I love keeping Corys in any of my aquariums. Yeah, they. and I was watching today. I saw at my girlfriend's house, one of the Corys is buddied up with one of the angels. So they were following each other back and forth across the glass. So you never know who they're going to buddy up with next. It would be cool for a Corridors to partner up with a uh, loach of some sort. <laughs> well, my girlfriend has got a tank that's got six Corridors of green Aeneas, and she's got angels, and she's got a bunch of loaches in there. And they do run together. She's into her loaches. She's got um, botillas and yo-yos and all different. She's a loach person. And they're all in there together, and they're doing just fine. They don't attack each other. They just kind of mingle. But when they start running back and forth across the glass, then that's kind of fun to watch. They're very busy little critters. That's cool. And the younger they are, the busier they are. I call them my little zoomers when they're first hatched. Because <laughs> they're steady zooming around the tank. 
Nice. So, um, what should people feed their corridors or their cory cats? What would you suggest for a good diet for cory catfish? Okay, a diet for a cory. Some people believe that corys should be there to pick up all the waste. Well, that you're really shorting your corridors by letting them eat leftover flake and stuff like that. They're omnivores, so they like plant and they like meat. So like my corys, they get a very varied diet. In the morning, they'll get high-octane pellets, like I'm spawning them so I condition them. So they get a 54% pellet, which is a lot of protein. 54% uh, protein in that, and then I also feed them, being they're wild, I give them live food occasionally. So I'll give them live blackworms. They also like bloodworms. They'll eat tube effects. And, of course, I throw in a little bit of flake here and there. And then at night, they all get frozen brine shrimp. I'm, I don't have a big enough area to raise my own brine shrimp. So I just buy the frozen, and they like it just fine. So you can pretty much vary their diet, and I believe they'll get in on the cucumbers and stuff you would throw in for plecos. They'll get into a little bit of everything if you throw it in there. Awesome. And when, of course, when they're babies, of course, when they're young, you've got to feed them something different because of the size, which we can get into that when we start getting into the breeding. And and unless you want to talk about harboring the baby fish. We can talk about that next weekend here on the Aquatic Yeah, Online. that's what I'm saying. We can get into the babies and all next week when we start getting into the breeding. So basically, corys uh, are not picky eaters, right? Not really. They're not finicky at all. They'll they'll even come up and dance for food. Once they get used to you, like I said, mine are pretty used to me now. So they'll come right up in front. I like to put their food right across the front, and they'll come up there and eat. And so I get to watch them eat. And the live worms, they'll fight over the live, wor- live worms like a piece of spaghetti one fish on each end till they get to the middle. So it's kind of interesting to watch them eat because they steady dig. Now they've also, uh, one thing that has come up amongst quarry people is the substrate. Uh, Quarries where they're from have a sand bottom. Everybody thinks you should use sand. Well, you should, but with me, uh, what will happen is if you use a rough gravel in your tank, it'll ruin their barbels. They'll scratch it on the rough surface, and you'll end up with a bunch of fish that don't have any barbels, which they need those to help track down their food. And what I've got is small, round gravel that I bought at Walmart. And the biggest reason I use gravel is when I'm collecting eggs, the eggs will fall into the gravel, the ones I I miss, and they have a chance of not getting eaten, and they'll hatch in the gravel, and I can collect them later. So basically that's your substrate of choice would be sand, but they'll live in the gravel, and but just don't make it sharp. Don't give them anything sharp to hurt their poor little whiskers. That's some great advice there. Now, can they do bare bottom? Would they be all right in bare bottom? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can put them in a bare-bottom tank, but I don't like cleaning a bare-bottom tank. Uh, 
<laughs> That's the big thing. I can go in with a vacuum, which is a tube that has a bigger tube on the end and a smaller tube on the other side, and you vacuum your gravel. It'll pick up the debris, and it'll drop the gravel. So I just go through and I, gra- I vacuum the gravel to get any of the leftover food and fish poop, and which I call fish meg. <laughs> Clean up your debris, <laughs> and it'll leave the gravel. But that's the biggest reason I use gravel is basically for the babies, you know, to hide the eggs and all if they should drop. But the fish dig in it just like they would sand. So I haven't had any problems with mine, and I've been breeding mine for six years. Oh. But that's something to watch for is your substrate, most definitely. And a lot of people will use a planted tank for their quarries. And I started off using plants. But they would lay eggs on the leaves, and when I went to collect them, I'd either have to put the whole plant in another in my five-gallon, or what I've been doing is collecting the eggs by hand and putting them in the in the smaller tank. But they were tearing up my plants, so I've turned around now. They've got all plastic plants, which for me works just fine, and I've got their tank set up like a community tank where the, it's visually nice and you don't have to worry about cleaning the bare bottom to make sure it's so spotless that it looks good. And they'll definitely clean the grass. They do a lot of their own cleaning on the gravel also. That's pretty cool that they do that. So the next question I have for you is, um, what would you suggest for take mates for Cory Cats? Cory cats are pretty easy to get along with. I would not suggest anything like uh, big cichlids. I had a Oscar at one point, and I put a couple of Corys in there, thinking with the spines, I saw the Oscar pick it up head first and spit it back out. So I thought I was good and clear that I could keep Corys with an Oscar. Well, then the Oscar figured out to sneak up behind him and he literally bit the cory in half, leaving the head and the spines. So I don't keep them with cichlids. But they will get along like an angelfish is a cichlid, but they'll still get along with angelfish. Like I said, if you pick a, a cory, that'll take a higher temperature because angelfish like a higher temperature. They'll, they'll take more in the eight, like 82 to 84, and you really don't want low... I mean, high-altitude quarries in that. They don't do as well. Sometimes they'll just die, which makes it a problem. And another another thing, when you go to the store and you buy quarries, uh, sometimes you'll get your quarries home and find they've all died. Well, Corydorus is one fish, and I don't know of any others, but I'm sure there is. When they're stressed out, they will emit a little bit of toxin out from under their gill plate. And so if you put a bunch of stressed-out quarries in a bag, they'll release that toxin, and they could be dead by the time you get them home, and you won't know why. Now, if you look along the top of the bag where the water line is, if you see little bubbles 
along the top line, the chances are they just killed themselves with toxins. So a lot of suggestions I've heard from people is to let the fish store people chase them around. They'll chase them around the big tank, they'll emit that toxin, which will dissipate into the big tank, and when you put them in the bag, you're not going to have that problem of worrying about getting them home. Now, that doesn't always happen. Some people have no trouble at all. But if your fish should die by the time you get them home, that could be part of the problem. And I learned that from a man named Ian Fuller, who is a quarry man who has been doing nothing but quarries for 40 years. And that's why I learned that little bit of information was from Ian. Well said. Go ahead. Well said. We were just about to talk about that in a a minute or two, so that's a very very good information. I think our listeners should know about that quarries do produce toxins that can kill them. Yeah, it'll affect other fish in the bag also. If you decide to put quarries in bags with tetras, they get along well with all your tetras and rasboras, and the only thing you'll have to watch for is fin nippers. Now, if you end up with fish that are fin nippers, like I think barbs might be in that bracket. Uh, fish that are bad at nipping fins, they'll nip your quarry's fins. And if you also, there's a type of an algae eater you need to watch for, too. I can't remember the Latin name, but they will um, attach themselves to the side of a quarry and bite through him. Because quarries have no scales. They have skin instead of scales. So when you're treating a tank for anything else, if you have ick or your fish end up with something else, and you got to treat a tank that's got quarries in it, you've, it's a wise thing to do to give your medication in a half dose because they'll absorb it a lot quicker not having scales. Well said. I agree with you on that as well. You can also use... Um Culture salt, correct, or is culture salt dangerous for them? Uh, pardon? I didn't get that. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, you could also use culture salt in some warmer water to help them. Is that, is that too dangerous for them? It's other use for my um, other fish. Well, like I said, the warmer you do the water, the worse it is for them. But 80 degrees would be all right. You start hitting 84, and you're getting a little too warm for them. And that's a problem because when people treat for ick, they run the temperature up to like 84 to 86. So you're playing an iffy game treating like that for an angelfish or something else where you need to raise your raise your heat. I know a lot of people that pull their quarries if they've got to do that. Quarries are, for some reason, I have had no problem with it, and I see a lot of people that end up with ick in the tank but it hasn't affected the quarries. I'm not saying they won't get it, but I've seen them avoid it a lot easier than other fish. Yeah, they are very strong fish. I, I know that for a fact. And I never had um, ick in my, with my quarries t- t- to date. Yeah, you end up with other fish that end up with the ick, especially if you're bringing them home from a fish store where a lot of people suggest having a quarantine tank for anything you buy in the fish store. But if you've got yourself a reputable fish dealer, like my quarries 
you know, the lasers, they're a little bit harder to find. And the only thing about that is if you buy from a breeder, you have less chance of having that happen. Because a breeder, they pretty much take better care of all their fish. So if you get a, if you have a good breeder, sometimes it may cost a little more, but it's worth it to get a healthy fish. Well said. So Lynn, what would be your favorite quarry species? I would say it's my orange lasers. I love the color. They've got an orange neon orange stripe down them, and their their body is gold, and they've got a pink blush on their gill plate. And I like the green lasers, but I'm I think I like the orange ones better. They're gold lasers technically, but everybody calls them oranges because of the orange stripes. And it's like a bright neon. They've got a lot of color to them, and I like color. There's so many black and white quarries that I decided I didn't want to breed another black and white quarry. And I've got buyers for them, so that's the good thing. Because I pretty much raise them to sell. Those lizard quarries are very beautiful. I know that. I very rarely see them up here and where I'm from. So when they are up here, they're very expensive. Oh, yeah. I had one guy tell me he saw them in one of his fish stores for $24.95 a fish. Wow. Now, I'm I'm selling my babies, uh, say, three-quarters of an inch, half to three-quarters of an inch. When they're big enough and they're hardy enough to ship, I'll sell them for $3 a piece. That's not bad. That's a great price. Yeah, that's a good price. But I can get by on that, whereas juveniles, if they get bigger, say an inch or so, I'll sell them for $6. Because mine are always gone before they get that size. So that seems to be the trend these days, that people are buying all my babies and putting them in a separate tank and growing them out to their size, you know, to the size they want to put them in their tank at. Nice. You you offer them at a steal of a price, actually. It's an awesome price. Yeah. So I've got all mine sold, you know, just keeping them alive, and I'm good to go. That's the best best thing to do is keep them alive. Yeah. And I've, with the wild cots, I had an accident that I tried to hatch my eggs out in seven-point water, thinking they would acclimate to that automatically, where when I sell them, they'll go to somebody's tank and the 7.0, and that'll be all right. Well, it didn't work. It killed off every everything that hatched. So, oh, that sucks. Yeah, that really kind of sucked. But I learned my lesson. But once they leave here, they'll be able to live in 7.0 tanks. Nice, nice. So my favorite quarry is the brochure species. Have you ever worked with the brochure species? No, I haven't. What color are they? These are um, actually brown. They're actually a, a wild caught species. So most of the brochures you get in your fish store are all wild caught. These are one of the one of the first few quarries that are. I have not been tank raised yet. Oh, really? Well, I love yeah. my other ones, the C-121s. Now, those are a new species that are undetermined or undescribed yet. They haven't been dissected or taken apart or um, 
they haven't been collected enough, I guess, to give them a name yet. And I was, I went to a big import-export warehouse down here, and I was looking for doll fives. I thought I'd go with the doll fives. They're a white fish with a black stripe across their eyes, a black band that runs down their top line, and another black band right behind their shoulders, and they've got bright orange in between those two bands. So I was out after Adolphies. Well, I bought the Adolphies from this place, and they come from Brazil, and they had only been out of the, out of Brazil for maybe a month and a half. And I ended up buying, some of them had spots on the side, big blush spots, which I didn't think anything of it until I posted them on Cory Doris Land, which Ian Fuller is part of, and everybody let me know that I had a different species. They were not Adolphies at all. They just happened to be running with the Adolphies and got collected with the Adolphies. So I'm going to wait till they come in season again and pick up some more C-121s to add to what I've got. But nice. that's another interesting one that's going to be new to the market. Nice. So do you have anything you want to close today's short with? Pardon? Do you have anything you want to close today's short with? Anything you want to add to, to close the short with? Well, I, like I said, I suggest if you're into getting something different than what you got at your pet shop, look them up. See where they're collected from and what kind of environment they're from. You'll have your best results by doing that. And awesome. You'll be a lot happier with them because they'll be happier. Awesome. All right, so, Lynn, I'd like to say thank you for coming on the show tonight. I had lots of fun learning about Cory Catfish. And if you listeners have any further questions, contact Lynn Matheny with your questions on Facebook. Thank you for coming on the show tonight, Lynn. Go ahead. I I didn't hear you. Just PM me or uh, I belong to quite a few different groups, but if you just PM me, I'm glad to answer any questions or help you out. Awesome. I had a fun show today. Thank you for coming on. Okay, thank you very much, Alex, and I hope I helped everybody a little bit. Yes, you did. And next weekend, next Saturday, we'll be talking about breeding quarries. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, oh, I am too. I love breeding them. They're just a miracle in themselves the way they breed. Awesome. Okay, well, you have a good night, Alex, and good night to everybody. You do too. Okay. All right, so. That was Lynn Massey speaking on the Corridors Catfish. That was one of her three interviews that we're going to play on today's show. That was our one of tonight's tribute to Lynn Massey, who unfortunately passed away this week at such a young age. Right now, we're going to go ahead and take a quick commercial break. And during this commercial break, I'm going to play three songs in tribute to Lynn Matthew, uh, Masney, excuse me. 
the songs that I'm going to be playing are My Heart Will Go On, In the Eyes of an Angel, and Immortal. Those are three sad songs, but they are fitting for Lynn Masney. We're going to play those songs, and then I've got a few uh, commercials for Aquatic Wetline. And when we come back, we're going to finish off this tribute with more of Lynn's awesome interviews. And I've got a very special announcement that I can't wait to share with you guys. Thank you. 
Hikari offers a wide selection of aquatic diets to help you and your fishy friend find success. With more than 137 years of aquatic experience, Hikari was the originator of species-specific diets long before others thought it was important or trendy, and the first to bring unique products to fish keepers like algae wafers, the world's first diet specifically formulated for Procosinus, Micropellets, the world's first micro-coated aquatic diet for tropical fish. Saki Hikari, the world's first probiotic-enhanced diet for koi, goldfish, cichlid, and now turtles. And Biopure, the world's cleanest and most nutrition-packed frozen and freeze-dried foods, industry trendsetters when they were first introduced. When you're looking for the best aquatic diets your hard-earned money can buy for your aquatic pets, look no further than Hikari. Your fish and your wallet will be forever grateful. Hey guys, this is Donovan. I'd like to tell you a little bit about my show, Here for the Fix. I talk about how to become a fish keeper until now, talk everyday fish keeping, and about my favorite fish, African cichlids. So go check out my YouTube channel, Here for the Fins, all together, lowercase. And check out my Facebook, Here for the Fins. fish keepers of both freshwater and saltwater, you are invited to be a part of Aquatic Wetlines Group exclusive to the fish keepers and listeners of Aquatic Wetlines. The name of the group is Tropical Fish Keepers of Aquatic Wetline on Facebook. On this group you can post pictures of your aquarium, your fish, and chat fish. There will be contests and more. So join right now. Fish Keepers of Aquatic Wetline on Facebook. Hey, yeah, uh, this is the Aquatic Wetline, a tropical fish keeping show brought to you by Aqua Alex in Springfield, Massachusetts. Let's get back to the tropical fish chat right now. <laughs>
Please join us for a moment of silence for the late great Lynn Mathney. A terrible tragedy has struck the aquarium hobby. Today, we have lost a wonderful fish keeper who left a huge impact on the aquarium hobby. A personal friend of Alexander Cardinali aka Aqua Alex, Lynn Mathney will always have a place in Alex's heart. Lynn and Alex would chat fish behind the scenes of Aquatic Wetline and would have a blast. Lynn was very fond of Alex, and was very ecstatic for being a part of the Aquatic Wetline. She was a fundamental guest and supporter who will go down in history as one of the best guests and the first breeder to be on Aquatic Wetline. Not only did she have a passion for aquariums, she had a bigger passion for Corydora's catfish. Lynn had bred many different species of Corydora's catfish that she sold all over the United States to provide fish keepers with excellent quality Corys and also attended many fish meetings to provide knowledge for Cory catfish. Tonight, join Alex as we pay tribute to Lynn Mathney. We love you Lynn and we will miss you. Rock the heavens with Cory Catfish. We're back here live on the Lynn Mastney tribute earlier this week. Lynn Mastney, my best friend and the Corridors lady, has passed away. And tonight we're paying tribute to Lynn Mastney, a great way to go out for Lynn Mastney. And she will always be remembered by Aquatic Wetline. Now, before I play her final two interviews, I have a special announcement to make. Lynn Mastney will be the very first Aquatic Wetline Hall of Fame inductee. It will take place sometime in 2017. More information will be posted by New Year's Eve. Lynn Mastney, the first member of the Aquatic Wetline Hall of Fame, and so deservingly. We're going to have someone special induct her into the Aquatic Wetline Hall of Fame, and it'll be a very, very fun show. So stay tuned for more details for that. Now, let's hear Lynn's voice one more time. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Aquatic Wetline's own Corridor's Catfish Breeder, Lynn Matney. Lynn, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Hey, hey, everybody. I hope you're ready. we got some interesting stuff tonight. It's going to be a very, very fun fun show. So it's been a while since I've spoken to you on the radio. So can you provide us an update with, uh, with your Corridor's breeding store? Well, right now, the lasers, I'm getting ready to make them spawn. I need another spawn because I'm just about sold out. All the bigger juveniles that I've got have gone out the window thanks to the Internet. I've sold a few here around the neighborhood and to friends and people that have just gotten wind of the quarries that I've got. And an update, I'm getting new quarries. I'm also going to be getting blacks. So I'll have the orange lasers and I'll have black quarries which is something that you don't see very often. 
So oh, nice. besides that, well, I'm I'm just about out of quarries. Oh, that's good to hear. You've been selling a lot of quarries. I know those black quarries are very rare, so congratulations on that. Yeah, thank you. By next you year, awesome. they should be ready to spawn. Because they're going to be young. Great. They're going to be juveniles. I'll have to buy some black quarries from you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, you'll like them. So you pretty much so sold what, all of your other we... quarries already. What's that? So you sold all your other quarries already, right? Yeah, and I've got I have some uh that are probably a half inch long. So they're young yet. They got a ways to go, but they'll be sold. And I I even let the babies go like that. The people that want to raise themselves, I sell them for like 50 cents a piece for the real little ones. And I get $4 a piece for the juveniles. And when they're full grown, they go for 12 to $15 in the stores. So I think I, I provide a pretty good price. So yes, that's you do. why I think I, I'm getting all this business. You have an awesome price. Yeah, that is. That's a good deal for a laser. The only thing that's holding me back is the shipping. The shipping costs more than the fish. So I have a lot of people backing out, and I've got people that want to use the post office with their priority prepaid box. You know, you put everything in there you want for a certain price. But we've had problems. I've had problems with the post office. I sent fish that took six days to get there. Needless to say, they were all dead. So I had to replace those. So I'm not real thrilled with using the post office. I stick with UPS. I heard UPS is good for shipping fish, so that's that's probably true. UPS is a lot better. Yeah, I do second-day air. And the ones that really want them quick can do overnight, but, boy, it's spendy. It's not uncommon for a 10 by 10 box to go for $100. So when you buy, like, 20 fish, I've got an order of 20 fish to go out. And that's 20 fish, that's $80, and the shipping is 70 for second-day air. So that's a good $150. But like I said, being their lasers, if you raise them, if you want to breed them, you'll make your money back. That's very true. Now, I think this is a perfect start to the show today. If any of our listeners have any questions on Corridors for Miss Lynn Matney, AW's Cory Breeder, please call in live at 347-989-8142, dial 1, and we will be happy to answer your Cory questions for you. With that being said, let's get started. Now, Lynn, I know we discussed breeding of Corys, but I would like to discuss breeding of Corys once again. Um, Lynn, can you explain to us how you raise your Corridorus fry? How how I deal with the fry? That's a good question because that varies amongst the breeders. Now, the way I do it personally is after the uh, fish have laid the eggs, I take the eggs, they lay on plastic plants, I take the eggs and I put them in a five-gallon fish tank, and I use... 
6.5 water, 6.5 pH, because that's the water that the parents are in. And then I go ahead and let them hatch. My fish take five and six days. So they hatch during that five and six days. When they're done, I take the plastic plants out, and I put them in a bucket of bleach water to clean them up. So I let them scoot around in there, but as soon as possible, I take them out. To transfer them, I use an airline tube. And you know the five-gallon buckets of ice cream you can get, or the five quarts of ice cream you can get at the store? Well, we ate a lot of ice cream, and I take the buckets, and I use those to transfer my fry. I use the airline tube, and I siphon it and get get it going, and I chase them all around the tank and pick them all up and put them in that bucket. Then that bucket goes to a 10-gallon fry tank, so that lets them grow a little bit before I put them into a bigger tank. Well, not bigger, but, you know, the next one up for the medium size and then when I go to transfer them again I'll use a bigger tubing and I'll suck them up again and put them back in the bucket and then they go to the juvenile tank where they grow just a little bit more and then they're for sale but taking care of them now pH I've tried to do a pH of 7.0 to hatch them thinking that you know if if it was 7.0 they should be able to handle 7.0. Well, that wasn't true. I killed the whole batch. So I found that once they're hatched, I've got to keep them in six-point water. So after they're about a month old, then I start transferring the water and checking the pH on it and lowering the pH till it's like 6.5. And then I gradually, using chemicals, I know nobody likes chemicals, but I got, but it works for me, so I gradually up it when I do water changes. So I gradually up it until they're used to 7.0. And then the rest that they grow is in 7.0. So that when I sell them to you, they'll go right in your tank. And there won't be a pH difference that can kill them. So with that as a start, what else would you like to know? That's good. Now, what do you feed your fry? Is it, is it important to feed your fry after they're born, or do you wait a while to feed them? Two days. Uh, they they come with a yolk sac, just like any other small animal. They come with a yolk sac that lasts about two days. And after that two days, I start mine on frozen baby brine shrimp. And then when they get to be, oh, a little bit bigger, say, not quite quarter of an inch, I'll start feeding them Daphnia, frozen Daphnia, which is just a hair bigger than the than the uh, baby, frozen baby brine. And then once they get, plus when they get Daphnia, when they're that big, I'll start crushing up flake and give them a little bit of crushed flake in with it. And then when they get a little bigger than that, they jump up to blood worms and more flake. So it's kind of a process that each tank gets something different. That I just kind of figure what how size the size of the fish depends on what food it's going to get. Now I've tried to feed my laser spawning group brine shrimp, 
they won't eat it. I've tried and tried and tried. They leave it in a pile on the bottom of the tank. Now, I haven't tried to feed brine to uh, the fish in, the fish that are growing. I haven't tried, but I think I need to because they're tank raised instead of being wild. So they just might eat baby brine or might eat brine shrimp. And I just bought fish food today and forgot to get some. And you can always tell a fish geek when you have no groceries in your house and you fish are fully fully stocked. So <laughs> I have no groceries, but I have plenty of fish food. But that's kind of well, a means- step-by-step process. Well, that According means you love your size. fish, which is good. Yeah, they eat pretty good. And I've got certain pellets. I got some from a girl online named Zoe. I can't remember her last name, but she sells some really good pellets. And I've also got shrimp pellets, omega shrimp pellets, and they love them. They love them, but the only problem is it turns the water to look like it's got tannin in it. It really discolors the water. It takes me multi-water changes to get rid of it. So I try not to feed those that often. I think I fed the juice. But before we get into uh, speaking of your career as a chef, I know that there was a terrible tragedy this past Friday, and I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but Lynn, what are your thoughts on the situation in Paris this past Friday where over 100 people were killed in what is thought to be another terrorist attack? Frankly, I think it really sucks. I'm afraid that we're going to get hit next. I really am. I mean, it's, it's been many, many years since we've had a war over here, so I see it happening. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I hope we don't get attacked, but I I see it happening as well, just like you do. Well, it's it's happened everywhere else in the world. It might as well end up here too. I know, and hopefully it but doesn't happen. I was sad. I was really sad to see that, though. That was pretty bad. Yeah, it was terrible. I woke up on Friday uh, or Saturday morning, and I saw that on the news. It was terrible to see. Yeah, they're saying like 129 dead or something like that. I know it's 300 and something wounded. This world has gotten to become a bad place. Yes, we've gotten to become a terrible place now. Yeah. Well, I hate to see that kind of shit happen, but like I said, I see it coming here before too long. Yeah, they got us with 9/11. Hello? Yeah, 9-11 was terrible. Hopefully we'll never have to deal with anything like that again, but I do see another uh, terrorist attack here, if not now, in a couple years. Yeah, a couple years, I think you're right. But uh, anyways, moving on, I know that you love your corridors and you love the fish-keeping hobby, obviously, but what other kind of hobbies do you enjoy? Well, I enjoy horses. I worked in the high country for about 15 years riding horseback, bringing people in for horseback trips back into the mountains. I've ridden the Continental Divide on horseback. Very beautiful. 
It's something that I really miss now living down here in Florida. I miss the mountains really bad. Everything got packed in on horseback. Take all that stuff you got in your kitchen, Alex. Put it on a horse and bring it into camp. <laughs> that sounds like fun. Well, that's how it works. <laughs> Everything goes in by horseback. Oh, very nice. I hate when they put the eggs on the horse's box. <laughs> that really sucks. Yeah. I worked in one camp that was pretty pretty good camp. Had a good group of guys, and um, there were. I learned how to make a new trap for mice. You take a five-gallon bucket, fill it halfway full of water, a little line across the top of it, put a can on it, and put peanut butter around it, and they get up there try to get the peanut butter, can spins, and uh, mice go in the water. So the next morning before they got there, I took all the mice, and I put them on the clothesline with a clothespin, put peanut butter and stuck a tag to them. So when all the hunters got there, I showed them what I'd been hunting. Nothing but mice. So I got to oh, take wow. my pictures with all the mice. <laughs> it was a pretty <laughs> cool camp, though. They they even had a tree that had a cord coming out of it saying RV hookup. Like I said, neither say it's a joke because you can't get there by RV. <laughs> I've oh, been some pretty good camps. Yeah. You would like the outhouses, Alex. All the outhouses, we put up girly pictures. Oh, that sounds cool. Sounds like a win-win for me. Oh, yeah. you got to have those. Can I? And I like a view in my outhouse. I don't want it <laughs> facing a hill. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But it was fun. It was some of the funnest time of my life. I had to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and start making biscuits and with a wood camp stove, and we did use propane in some of the camps. And then I'd get all my husbands in. I'd call them and get them fed, get their lunches made, pack them out, help saddle some of the horses, get them out, and let them go kill something. Then I got them fed in the evening and sit around and have a beer with them, or sometimes they don't drink, and get them up again at 4. So it was continuous. I spent 15 years doing that. Oh, that sounds like fun. Sounds like you had a lot of fun uh, cooking and caring for the men and caring for the horses. Oh, yeah, I did. I enjoyed it. And you wouldn't believe some of the people that you meet. I got my chance. I got, well, you make tips also. So my last job that I left, I was making $111 plus room and board a month, that is, plus room and board. They took care of my horse. So there was no cost for me at all to live there. And they, like I said, 1100 a month just for the horses and taking care of the camps and everything else. So I really enjoy hunting and fishing. That's something I really miss. I still fish down here. And... We've even sent some, um, I don't know if you know what a salvanai is. Yeah, very salvanai beautiful uh, cichlid. Yeah, very beautiful Central American cichlid, yellow and orange, right? Yeah, we catch them in all our canals down here. So we got busy with a good friend of mine, Alan Rawlings, who just came over from England and got a green card here. Bless his heart. I'm so happy for him. He came down here, and we went fishing and got about 
15 salve and I and picked out 13 that were small enough and good enough to ship. And he took them to the cichlid convention. So that was pretty cool. And one of the guys that went from our club stood up in front of the club and said, oh, yeah, there were Florida fish there. And me and <laughs> Becky just sat, my girlfriend just sat there and laughed. I was like, yeah, we provided them. Guess what? <laughs> they came out of your canals. <laughs> But it's a pretty good club. We do all kinds of things like camping and trekking out in the wild. And that's one thing I miss about living down here in Florida. But the only thing that I'm grateful for is that we're about five minutes away from the Everglades. So I can get out into the Everglades. they got some camps out there for airboats. And you can go camp and cook out there and do whatever you want. Oh, that's cool. I've heard a lot of good things about the Everglades. You've got some beautiful wildlife out there. Oh, bugs, though. Mosquitoes are as big as cat, big as um, hummingbirds, I swear to God. Oh, okay, I hate mosquitoes. you got to remember to bring your off. But it's beautiful. <laughs> we've, got, we've got all kinds of animals out there. We don't see deer very much down here anymore because the places that used to be our ranches are now condos. <laughs> I'm kind of sad about that. They've just been building up and building up down here that there's nowhere else to go but the Everglades, and they're just screwing up the Everglades really bad. Yeah, that sucks. I heard that the Everglades are actually being uh, populated by giant pythons. Is that true? What's that? I heard that the Everglades is being populated by people release, releasing their giant python snakes and specifically oh, yeah. Burmese pythons. Oh, yeah. And a Burmese will grow fast, and it will grow big. They're not really nasty by nature. You get into a reticulated python or one of those, now that's a nasty snake. Uh, Burmese will kill you just to get around you and do it. It's not doing it out of viciousness. It just does it because it can. But they're finding some that are closer and closer to town, which is really bad. You know, you've seen that um, thing on TV, Gator Boys? Yeah, I see that on uh, Animal Planet. Yeah, well, we live about 10 miles, I mean 10 minutes from Gator Boys. So all that that's taped is right down here in my stomping grounds. Oh, well, how cool is that? That's now, yeah, that is cool. We can sit here and watch the show and go, oh, oh, that's Becky's neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'll say next yeah. time I see it. <laughs> yeah, that's easy to do because we're so close to the Everglades that we do get a lot of renegade stuff here, like in, like uh, fish species aren't supposed to be here, and we're now we're getting the pythons and... Actually, another one is a peacock bass that's been introduced. That's another one that people are liking it because it's a big bass to catch, but they're also eating up all the fry of everything, as is the snakehead. So all that is just putting everything to shit. Oh, yeah, I can imagine all the different species that don't belong in the Everglades right now, but there's a ton of Oscars and Red Devils and such in there. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah, there's <laughs> pigs out there, too. It's fun to watch the pigs. <laughs> yeah, pigs are awesome, too. Yeah, there's a lot of, well, they're good eating. And a lot of the pigs we have here came from a lot of ranches and stuff where they got loose. So they're kind of a cross between a feral and a domestic pig. They're still good eating. So yeah, you, you see get, a lot of pig hunting down here. You get free pork chop and free bacon. Well, it's it's fun to do. It's one thing to do. But I like in mid-Florida, it's really pretty. Mid-Florida's got a lot of streams that come up out of the ground, like bubbling creeks. And you can see the manatees, and you can see everything up there. Oh, Mid-Florida is beautiful. I agree with you. Mid-Florida is awesome. I think that uh, Florida is one of the best states in the in the country. Well, I had a girlfriend just moved to North Florida, and she keeps sending pictures and putting them on Facebook. And matter of fact, she just posted a picture from their hometown shopping center, and in their uh, food store. Here's Tyler Perry cruising around the food store. You know who that is? Yes, she's a female actor. Tyler Perry from Aerosmith. Oh, yeah. I know who that is now. Yeah. Yeah, he's like a... I, I saw the picture and I went, oh, my God, what's he doing up there? Like, what is he doing in Bumfuck, Florida? He is trying to hide. Oh, that's very cool. You get to meet some uh, cool celebrities in Florida. A lot of them oh, live yeah. down there. Oh, yeah. My sister was a limousine driver, my little sister down here. She's met everybody from Eddie Murphy and Mariah Carey, and she's met so many neat people. Jerry Lewis, she said that's one that used to request her a lot. But she drove one of the big stretches. And now she's driving county buses, 40-foot county buses. Oh, that's cool. I know that uh, Hulk Hogan and some of the wrestlers live in Florida, so some of you might uh, encounter some of the cool professional wrestlers. I'm sorry, say that again? Oh, I said I know that like Hulk Hogan and uh, some of the professional wrestlers live in Florida, so maybe one day you guys oh. can encounter them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they have that going on down here a lot. I've been watching for that sting that you that you talked so much about. Yeah, he lives around there in Florida somewhere. I think he lives in uh, either Tampa or Clearwater Beach. Yeah, it's all about the same area. I used to live in Tampa years ago. I love it down here. Well, it's all changed now. A lot of gang shit going on. Hey, dude. <laughs> hey, dude, I thought everybody just shoot your ass. You, see, you hear that a lot. You're funny. Uh, it's like that down here at Springfield, Mass. Yeah, you hear that kind of shit down here a lot. <laughs> I'm, in a good, I'm in a good neighborhood, though, and all the crackheads are two streets away. <laughs> oh, yeah. You go, da- you go down the street and... You can go down the street and look at every house. Crackhead! 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 <laughs> oh, that's funny. I know a few crackheads now. Oh, I know a few of them. I've never done crack, and I have no desire to. I did enough drugs when I was young. 
<laughs> I did everything yeah. I could get my hands on. But then I was born. I was born in Miami, so you know everything was here. Yeah. I was born in Miami and raised in Hollywood and Davie, which is like outskirts of Fort Lauderdale. And we're probably twenty miles away from thirty miles away from Miami. Miami's an awesome city. Go ahead. Miami's an awesome city. They've got some beautiful sports and a beautiful city in Florida. I've been there once. Yeah, it is. But there's still parts of Miami you don't want to be shown up in if you're white. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of of gangbanging going on down there right now. They're having a lot of trouble with it. Yeah, it's a shame. It is, because we're moving to the nice neighborhoods and ruining some of the good neighborhoods. I don't understand why. So our why tax force down here stays pretty damn busy. Yeah, they they have to. I don't understand why there's a lot of gang activity nowadays. Well, I'm glad I'm not in the middle of it. That's yeah, all me say too. about that. Me too. I'm glad I'm not a gangbanger. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Some people sell drugs. I sell fish. That's good. Well, fish are my drug. Yeah, yeah, that's my drug now. I don't have my horses anymore. I used to have horses. I used to breed and raise registered Morgans, which is a really nice horse. It's a thirty oh, workhorse. Cool. Yeah, I did that. I lived in Idaho for a while, and I did that for a while, living in Idaho while I was in between camps. So that nice. was pretty cool. Out west, I've lived in Idaho. I've done camps in Wyoming, camps in, let's see, New Mexico, Colorado, Oregon, Alaska. I've done camps in all those states. All they have to do is call and say they need a cook, and I'm in my truck, and I'm rolling. Oh, well, she's all over. All right, so that's going to do it for us tonight. It's been an awesome tribute for an awesome Corridorous lady. I will forever be thankful for the opportunity to have Lynn Matney on the Aquatic Wetline and the opportunity to uh, have interviewed her and meet her. Very, very sad that uh, Lynn has passed away, but I feel a little better now that I've done this tribute because it's made me respect her even more. With that being said, rest in peace, Lynn Masney, and I look forward to inducting you into the Aquatic Wetlines Hall of Fame. Rest in peace, Lynn, and good night, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Goodbye. Please join us for a moment of silence for the late great Lynn Mathney.
This episode of the Aquatic Wetline has concluded. Aqua Alex thanks you for listening to his show. Please check out Aquatic Wetline Fishkeeping Podcast on Facebook and hit like for tropical fish facts and more. Feel free to reach Aqua Alex at AquaticWetline at Outlook.com with any tropical fish questions. Your questions may make the show. Good night.